hi everybody. Welcome to the 12th episode of In the Aeroplane. I just we- said you knew what you were doing, and here we are. <laughs> you did just say that, and I just guessed a number. It is episode 12. You were correct. Hell yes. I am, uh, as always, Autumn June. This is a, a Studio Ghibli podcast, and I'm joined by M. Hi. Uh, it's time to talk about Nausicaa of the Valley of Wind. <laughs> you call this Gundam time. <laughs> it's time to talk about Yotsuba. <laughs> it's time to talk about anything but this movie I didn't like. Oh, if we could talk about Yotsuba Toe for the entire uh, thing, that'd be great. I read the first volume yesterday, and I have nothing to say except that it's the best manga ever. It's my favorite. Uh, it's just good. Yeah. Um, I love it a lot. I'm, it's going to be a long wait till volume 15, whenever that comes out. So, Yeah, isn't it on a... Uh, like whenever, whenever he gets done with it basis, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, I've still got 13 volumes to catch up, so... Yeah, fair enough. Anyway. Um, we watched Princess Mononoke. Oh, there's a fire truck. That's definitely going to pick up. My window's open because I've been working from home... Which means if the window's not open, I die. But that doesn't mean that <laughs> sirens uh, are loud. It happens. Um, Mononoke is Ghibli's 1997 film. Um, it was directed by Miyazaki, written by Miyazaki. Um, someone is texting me. I'm going to turn off the notification sounds. Yeah. Um... <laughs> um what other preamble do we do, or do we just want to get into summarizing? Well, here? okay, so let's see. Uh, this book or this movie was originally like early conceived, like ideas for it were all the way back in the seventies, but began working in the early nineties. Uh, but then was like, ah, shit. There's a lot of my neighbor Totoro in this, like aesthetically, and then uh, took some time to work on it, and slowly built it up over the next couple years. So it's interesting to hear that there's a lot of. Totoro in this movie. That's not what I would have like guessed at all other than the forest spirits. I mean, that's a big part of the movie uh, to me. You know? Yeah. Um, skimming Wikipedia, it says inspired by John Ford, Miyazaki created Iron Town. And I'm like weird, but okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it's like a good frontier. It's like a lockdown frontier village, you know? Like, mm-hmm. It's very much a railroad town in like a traditional sense. That's true. Okay. Um, do you want to summarize the movie? Do you want me sure, to summarize Sure, I can it? do this. Uh, okay. So this takes place in the nebulous space of uh, Muromachi, Japan, which is 14th to 16th centuries. Uh, it is about a, a young man named Ashitaka who is part of the Imishi people, which are like a native, like... One of the native ethnic groups in Japan, kind of like the Ainu, I think that's the one most Westerners know, um, that seemingly don't exist anymore. And in this story, he's the last of his, last prince of his people, uh, who gets, uh, cursed by a boar god who has some strange, goopy, horrible disease in it that is caused by a metal ball that has been embedded in his body. Uh, we know this is a bullet because we are modern viewers, but he is mm-hmm. exiled because of the curse and has, is, goes to where the boar came from to find out what might be causing such a horrible thing and comes across iron town, uh, which is a walled fortress on an Island near a mountain forest. And it is being run by a woman named Eboshi. And she is an arms manufacturer who is mining, uh, you know, ore out of the ground and then putting all of her people to work, smelting it into guns, that she is using uh, to fight a war uh, with Asano, the local like daimyo feudal leader guy, and because she fucking hates this dude for reasons that are not particularly uh, like expounded upon, other than he's a daimyo, they're all evil. I've seen a samurai movie before. <laughs> um, she's also at war with the spirits of the forest, which is. Uh, a giant wolf uh named what is the name of the wolf again moro and uh the wolf's daughter san san who is a human girl that the wolves picked up uh when her parents abandoned her and raised her like a wolf and they do not take kindly to uh, eboshi's efforts to 
you know, strip mine the forest and destroy all the gods because they're trying to defend that land that is hers because she wants it. And Ashitaka tries to get in between this conflict, uh, saying, you know, hate leads to hate and we can't just all go hating each other. We have to be peaceful. Uh, and everyone doesn't listen to him, uh, until he is shot dead, though he's, he does not die because he's got that curse in him and it's hard to kill someone who's cursed. Um, mm. he gets healed by this forest spirit, which is a big deer with a human face, uh, who is also the person that Eboshi is trying to get a hold of because she wants to kill him one to free up the forest for, you know, her mining. And also because if she can get the head of the forest spirit, which is said to grant immortality, she will get the emperor on her side and Asana will no longer be a problem. Uh, so she leads a group of people in there. Uh, shoots the head off of the forest spirit, uh, which causes the forest spirit to turn into a giant monster goop thing that just like destroys anything it touches. Uh, and, uh, San and Ashitaka work together to re-secure the head and give it back to the forest spirit, uh, which, uh, accepts the offering and then dies, but in doing, doing so spreads restoration across the land and all the trees start growing back. Uh, because you know you can you can fix things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> um, I know that we are going to do uh, voice actors in a second, so I guess I'll just say that like I have seen the dub of this movie before. I watched the sub this time. I actually don't think the voice acting in the sub is that remarkable either. I don't. I think it's better, but it's still not like good. <laughs> maybe that's a little harsh but um i did not like the cast of this movie very much at all mm-hmm. that's fair see the... okay sorry <laughs> well were you interrupted no i was um trying to find the cast on wikipedia and i was just scrolling past it <laughs> oh yes uh so i did not do i forgot to do it's been a week uh everyone who's listening yeah. to this knows it's been a time for everyone uh i am adjusting to my new work from schedule so i'm a little discombobulated so i did not put together these things so we're gonna do it on the fly uh okay we're gonna do it live so i did not watch the dub this time uh we could go back and talk about dub actors um a little bit because it's a it's a pretty stacked cast for you know when it came out but uh Ashitaka is voiced by Yoji Matsuda. You might know him as Asbel in Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. That's his major role. I, okay. Right before we started recording, I watched the last 30 minutes of Nausicaa again. And I think he does way better in Nausicaa than he does here. Yes. Uh, he's also in Girl Who Left the Time. He's Sojiro in that. Um, doesn't seem like he has a ton of roles. He, he dubbed uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. So, you know, that's something. That's not nothing. <laughs> uh Let's see. And then, uh, San is voiced by Yuriko Ishida, um, who, uh, is in From Up on Poppy Hill, um, Barefoot Gen from 2007, which I didn't know there was a remake of Barefoot Gen. Um, but she's mostly known for this. Okay. Uh, then, uh, Lady Aboshi is voiced by Yuko Tanaka, um, and then scrolling through her lists here. Um, she's in Tales from Earthsea, which we'll cover about uh, eventually. Uh, okay. Looking forward to that. Um, I don't see anything else. Like, she does a lot of, like, TV dramas and stuff, but nothing else that I, like, really latch onto. Like, I know what this is. Uh, yeah. A, a 1988 uh, TV adaptation of Wuthering Heights, it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, looks like a lot of Tales from Earthsea people or like, you know, they just hired this cast for Tales of Earthsea, which is funny, uh, okay. because, uh, the guy who plays, uh, the wandering monk, uh, J- uh, Jikobu is Koru Kobayashi and he is in Tales from Earthsea and nothing else that I've recognized. Uh, <laughs> once again, weird. yes. Um, and then, uh, let's see, who did I, who else did I get? Um, Akihiro Miwa voices, uh, Moro, the giant wolf god. Um, and he is an actor. He has an actual Wikipedia page, uh, for being an actor. He's a Japanese singer, actor, director, composer, author, and drag queen. Uh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> um, um, looks like he mostly appears in like live action stuff, like movies and whatever. He's also in Howl's Moving Castle. So. We'll get to that when we get to it. 
Okay. He also voices the Pokemon Arceus in Pokemon <laughs> Arceus and the Jewel of Life. Uh, Arceus, if you don't know, is the actual god of the Pokemon universe. <laughs> Weird. Yes. Um. But uh, that's the that's the cast I grabbed here. Um, the English version: uh, Ashitaka is Billy Crudup. Um, San is Claire Danes. Uh, Lady Aboshi is Mini Driver. Uh, Jikobu is Billy Bob Thornton. Um, Jillian Anderson is Moro. Uh, those are the big ones. Oh, wow. Jillian Anderson. Weird. Yep. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are, you know, stack cast for the English version because, uh, this movie got the big push. Uh, this was distributed by Miramax originally, um, not by Disney. So that's why it has mm-hmm. like such a different cast than we have encountered in the dub so far. Um, I remember seeing this on a VHS way back in the day and didn't like it then. Um, so I guess we should talk about how we feel about it now. <laughs> Um, I, after finishing this movie, went and watched the last 30 minutes of Nausicaa just to, like, feel better, because I just felt angry after watching this movie. I just feel angry right now. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you tweeted that Ashitaka is a Bioware protagonist in anime clothing, and it's incredibly true and makes him the most frustrating protagonist of any of these movies so far. And I remember how much I hate the guy from Ocean Waves, too. Like, I really hate this kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess we should talk about the main conflict, I guess. Then we can we can get the big, heavy stuff out of the way. And then we can talk about other little things that we liked or didn't like. Because there's stuff I like in this movie. But uh, mm-hmm. So you got the big... Con- Ashitaka's like, I need to find out what the curse is. I have these... I have clear eyes and a heart without hate is what he's described as basically. That's why he's going, um, Mm -hmm. which is a really fucked up thing to apply to what is basically like a native person wandering into modernity. Um, This is, this is an extremely like, Oh, the mystical people of the land will teach us the true ways of peace Uh, Mm -hmm. thing for Miyazaki to be writing, which is fraud in its own. We have our own version of this, obviously Um, avatar two in theaters next year. Someday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so he comes to this town, which is like on the edge of like industrialization. Uh, They're building guns. They have giant bellows and smelters and things like that. And all the trees have been stripped to build a giant like fort because they're besieged by the animals. And Lady Eboshi is depicted as like a character that is like, at odds with the traditional feudal masculine samurai way, right? Like she's up against like some traditional Japanese daimyo lords. And she's the woman who's going to actually motivate the populace because she is compassionate to the lepers and lets them build her best guns. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's liberated all of the women who are working in brothels and let them run the bellows. And now they're making their own money. And I, I don't know what Miyazaki thinks of sex work. Uh, other than if it's what's in this movie, it's fucked up. <laughs> Um, it is a thing to be liberated from. <laughs> and she she fucking hates all these gods who refuse to allow her to extract their resources and is willing to kill them because she has no fear. She fears no man or god. Um, and she she would be cool if she wasn't clearly the most evil person on earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because she's just she's just the epitome of like liberal representation capitalism right like she's gonna she's gonna hire more women guards to build all Uh the guns and fuck up anything that is like sacred in the world uh because the other side is not like an opposing force it is the people it is the the sentient animals and the gods that represent them that live on this land it's theirs it's their home they want to protect it uh and she refuses to acknowledge that and will just kill them all (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I can't tell what I'm supposed to make of it sometimes because I think I think the reason that they have Ashitaka like walk around the town is so that I am supposed to like develop sympathy with like the citizens of this town and I maybe I have some sympathy for the citizens of this place but I certainly don't have any for Iboshi and I think like 
I'm supposed to see her putting the lepers to work and be like, oh, wow, she's like, you know, really looking out for people. Um, uh, I think I think it's like more complicated than that, but we'll get to it in a second. But the, the thing that I think is interesting is like Aboshi is a character that is very generous with people who serve her. Uh, she mm-hmm. wants to get rid of the gods and create dumb animals and, you know, like subject her will to nature. Uh, but she's not like she has a garden that she obviously cares a lot about. Um Yet, you know, is going to go destroy this forest. Uh, nature is only as good as the purpose it serves her, uh, materially in this moment. Otherwise it can, you know, just go into the fires for all she cares. Right. And she feels like it's the same way about people, right? She's very generous to Ashitaka when she realizes that he's like someone who could help her out because he's got a curse arm that gives him super strength. And the minute that he <laughs> questions her motives at all, she's like, well, this guy, fucking murder him, get him out of my town. <laughs> Um, and yeah, Ashitaka basically spends, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of the movie, like, probably 20, walking around this town and, like, trying to get, like, the, like, human perspective on things, and then he... But in, like, a very, in a very, like... I'm I'm an outsider. I don't understand your gender. I'm going to do the women's work, and the women are going to be so surprised. This boy is helping us with the, all of the women's stuff, and uh, I'm not interested in all the male bo- boasting, at, you know, at dinner time. And it's just very like eye rolly that this character is given this like transgressiveness, but through like the most mm-hmm. like passive nature. Yeah, because like he tours this town, and then he spends some time talking with like. Moro and the boars and like uh trying to understand um their struggles and the conclusion he comes to is we just have to make peace between these two groups but he doesn't actually want to resolve the underlying conflict which is that Iboshi is an aggressor here yes um and he's not he just thinks conflict is bad. Yeah. Like, he, he doesn't see Eboshi as evil because she wants to extract things from the land. She, he sees her as evil because she's doing violence. He sees Moro and the animals as evil because they're also doing violence. The motivation mm-hmm. to violence is the thing that is bad, uh, not the reasons why you are fighting a war. Right. There's, like, to jump ahead a little bit, there's, like, a scene toward the end, um, maybe in, like, the last third of the movie, where he walks through a big pile of, like, dead boars and then, like, sees, like, a mass grave of, like, 20 guys who are also dead. And you're supposed to feel, like, sympathetic for both the boars and the human and feel disgusted that it came to this violence. But the humans started it. (laughs) Yeah, the boars are defending their homeland from invasion and exploitation. Yeah, and, and it's and his main function of sympathy when it comes to like the creature of the forest is that he really wants to rescue uh Sen because she's a girl and he has the hots for her. He really wants San to be like, you know, recognize her her, her her humanity because uh he sees her as that and thus she must be rescued from this like, you know, animalistic lifestyle that is inappropriate because it's violent and brutal and short and it's only that way because the humans are coming to steamroll the place (laughs) and she will she is continuously saying to him i am a wolf like i know like i'm a human but i am a wolf i was raised by wolves like and he can't is just totally incapable of just respecting that this is a thing that she wants. Yeah. I, I mean, the movie itself also just by the end, she is like, yes, I am also the girl who's going to stand by your side because the movie also doesn't respect the idea that she has a different culture that is not human. Right. Um, early on, like in the, like the first time that San and uh, Ashitaka talk, she like puts a sword at his throat for a little while and then just, takes it away and decides not to kill him and i was extremely unclear on like what this change of heart was caused by some apes show up and want to eat him and i guess she doesn't want the apes to eat him but she doesn't like like him now or shouldn't have a reason to like him now i don't know yeah it's it's muddy and confused and I yeah. just felt so unclear a lot of the time by about what I was supposed to be 
making of everything. I had my own positions on everything, but I didn't really know what Miyazaki wanted me to be thinking. And I it's, know that all it's bad when people do violence. Maybe, yeah. maybe if the animals wanted Lady Eboshi to listen to them, they'd be more peaceful in their protest of their homes being destroyed. <laughs> they shouldn't destroy the ironworks. They should just obstruct Yes. Of the ironworks from operating. Yes. What if the wolves <laughs> petitioned the humans to maybe just extract half of their homeland of its resources? God. <laughs> um, my favorite moment in this whole movie is Moro, um, the like eldest wolf, um, having a conversation with Ashitaka where Moro is like saying like, we can't reconcile our differences. I don't know why this is a thing you want. I don't know why you want to take San from me. Like, it, Moro is just explaining how the wolves feel about everything, and Ashitaka just kind of shouts, but it you don't have to die. And um, the conclusion is that, like, yeah, they don't have to die if you go went and convinced the, convinced the humans to not do this. Yes. <laughs> like, <sighs> yeah, it sucks. And then, you know, uh, Lady Eboshi goes and shoots God's head off, which honestly is pretty sick, all things considered. Like, it's a, <laughs> it it's a horrible of... thing to do, but that scene is is, is amazing uh, and frightening and weird and interesting. Because she, like, goes to shoot the God. The God, she shoots the God in the head, but with a small enough bullet that he doesn't notice or doesn't really, it doesn't really affect him one way or another. And he keeps mm -hmm. going. And then as he begins to transform to his night form, which is a weird giant blob Godzilla, uh, she fires a bigger gun. But right before she can, it notices her and looks at the gun and the gun starts sprouting like leaves and flowers but not in fast enough to block the firing pin so she blows its head off and then it goes uh all the blob just starts becoming a thing that sucks life because the god can give life and take it away is its whole deal um mm -hmm. and now it's just taking life uh with whatever it touches uh i assume absorbing it which is why it gives it all back when the head's back but this idea of like her greed has caused this cataclysmic environmental disaster uh and the only way to fix it is to you know make peace of the land and then it'll all restore instantly and you won't have to worry about it we could just put all those trees back once we cut them down uh is its own different form of cowardice to the philosophical violence and you know uh imperialist question here um if we just stopped fracking, the environment would go back to its healthy state within, like, a couple years. Like, yeah. if we just stopped doing it, we can just undo the harm that we have done. Yeah, look at these horrible things that happened. Five minutes later, we fixed it. We did the right thing. We apologized to the Earth. We hugged a tree. And now all the little ghost babies are back again. <laughs> <sighs> this is an entirely minor side note. Um when the gun was like sprouting flowers, I was like, God, Twilight Mirage is good. <laughs> yes. That's yes, all. it is. <laughs> um, I almost ended up crying during that scene and I don't know if I was supposed to. I just, I felt a hint of the like despair that I felt while watching Palm Poco, but like Palm Poco, uh, wants to elicit that by taking a side on all these things. Yes. And Mononoke is, is hitting that same feeling just by like, oh, this is, it's tragic that this was all inevitable. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't inevitable. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. The big, the big problem with this movie, I mean, I think we'd have these same complaints regardless, but we watched Pompoko a couple movies ago and it so clearly is about the same ideas, but has a point of view and an, a coherent ideology and a uh, willingness to invest in the tragedy of the situation that this movie just does not, it's not willing to walk up to that at all. Um, mm -hmm. and because of that, like, uh, one of the things that's really striking about this movie is it's like exceptionally violent, especially early on. There's mm -hmm. some scenes of like just battles happening over like the, the fields and people are getting like arms lopped off in like, in these really uh, like abstractly violent ways where like a limb will be removed and it'll just be like, there's like a slice of ham where the arm was, right? Like <laughs> the stump just looks like cartoon meat and it's not particularly bloody, but it's like really violent. Uh, like, uh, 
Ashitaka, when he fires his bow, his arm does like his curse, like squelching and goes really, like he becomes really powerful. And he literally shoots a guy's arms off and pins him to a tree. And it's played as like a, almost like a comedy gag, but it's horrific in that it refuses to commit to the like, actual damage of the violence if you compare this right. to pompoko when the the violent uh tanuki decide to uh, confront the police we don't actually see them all get shot and murdered but we do see the pile of bodies and just commit onto that being like a grand tragedy in the way that nothing in this movie feels like weighty in its violence it just seems to have it for the sake of having it i think it's supposed to be like <sighs> i think it's supposed to be like shocking like oh my god he just chopped that dude's head off just like so quick and like reinforcing the like violence in and of itself is bad theme mm-hmm. but like it is like you say it's so cartoonish and just like quick it's just like his head is there and then his head is gone that mm-hmm. it doesn't actually like hit me other than like the first or two times it happens i kind of like gasp i was like oh right yeah like uh and and because of that the thing that actually ends up being the most like effective visually is the gross boar at the beginning when the you know corrupted boar bursts out of the forest and is just like a weird pile of CG tentacles <laughs> happening. Yeah, um, there's a lot of not a lot, but there is starting to be CG in these yes. movies. Um, and I don't think it looks very good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is, one, this is 97, but we're going to, there's, mm-hmm. there's shots that I, I think of as Spirited Away has this, where it's like a rapid camera move through like, like feet, like grass and stuff that you just see. Right. Like it looks, I don't know how to describe it other than I think of it as a Spirited Away shot, where it's a camera move you'd never do traditionally moving through a 3D environment that clearly has like animation done to it, but it looks incredibly fake compared to everything else <laughs> in the movie when it happens. Um, and I think like, I don't know, just generally, like, aesthetically, this movie didn't, like, hit me quite as strong, hit me quite as hard as other Ghibli movies have. Um, in that scene I mentioned where he's, like, walking through the pile of boars, I said to Nora, like, if this was Nausicaa, like, those would all be, like, weird paintings of dead boars, and they would be so much better. <laughs> Mm. Um, the one thing I do think is good about the the dead boars is the scene where the humans all cut off the skin of the dead boars and rush the boar god who is blind because he thinks it's his army coming back to him because all he can do mm-hmm. is smell them. Uh, it's like really creepy. It's really effective. It doesn't mean fuck all for the plot. It's just a scene to be there as a scene. Um, yeah, it was like that's like one of the most affecting parts of the movie for me. And it didn't add to anything. It didn't like change my understanding of the themes it just was like a really weird and cool thing that happened yes um you know um it feels like it can't commit to the violence that um pompoko commits to and it also like to compare it to nausicaa like Nausicaa has a little bit of the same problem at moments where it's like, well, if we just listen to nature um, and, like, try to coexist, like, we can coexist, um, which, but I think Nausicaa pulls things off so much better because, like, I think Nausicaa is, like, a genuinely heroic character, um, and, like, Nausicaa stands in front of the herd of Ohm and is, like, ready to sacrifice herself um, to do what's right. And it really hammered home that I think Ashitaka being so noncommittal and both sidesy, like, tears this movie apart. Because I think, like, it is a very similar conflict to what's going on in Nausicaa, but, like, his, like, way that he is, like, makes the movie not work at all for me. Yes. Um, yeah, you have to you have to pick a side, and I honestly don't like if this movie was about him deciding to side with uh, Eboshi, and they just need to kill the animals because the animals have pushed too far. Um, I think that would be like 
a like a tragic movie, but I at least it would be standing for something, even if I disagreed with it. It's the it's the inherent wishy washiness of uh, Ashitaka's very fake idea of well, I see the truth and compassion is the way, and both sides need to lay down their arms and just uh, you know get along, and the world will prosper is just not true. And putting that in the in terms of like in the mouth of a person who historically his people existed and were wiped off face of the earth by the people who now you know are live in Japan, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is just like unconscionable. It's just like reveals huge gaps in the ability to like understand that the world is a, a set of systems that operate on power imbalances. Yeah. And uh, I was t- tweeting on private and texting you a little bit at the end of the movie about my frustrations with like the compromises and like how the environment is restored at the very end. Yes. And then right after I was complaining about that is the line where he's like, Son, you can live in the forest and I can live in the ironworks and like we can visit each other. And I'm like, why are you living in the ironworks now? You yeah. have a home that like <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah, he's uh yeah, no, he he's he just has to live with the the people who are building forges. That's just who he is. And like in the one in the very brief scene at the very beginning of the movie where which is the only time we see his home like they are all like yeah our people are dying out and like you might not have a home to come back to but like he he doesn't even want to go home he's just like shrug i guess i live here now like what the fuck yes uh, um it was a genuinely like I often didn't know what to make of like his relation to like um, indigeneity, and then at the very end, where he's just like decided to like become part of like imperialist industrial culture, it was just like upsetting and like made me angry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, part of the reason I compared him to a Byro protagonist, and maybe Bethesda's a little more accurate, is Ashitaka's whole function in this plot is to explore both sides, like, as much as possible without committing. And at the end, he unlocks the third way without actually taking a side that solves everyone's problem magically. Like, this is just every video game quest line's end point where you don't, it, you, like, you could pick a side, but definitely you're going to be compromised. The way to do this properly is defense sit until the last minute when you can uh, just uh, make everyone else compromise and get what you want, which is the girl and living in the sick-ass mining town. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, there, there are no consequences for anything you do. There's no, like, meaning to any of it um yeah sucks it sucks i'm trying Um, not to just be angry i'm trying to like build to something and i just have like irritation in my heart all right well let's talk about uh is there any things you did like i will uh, start i remember and i still think the kodama are the best thing in any of the ghibli movies Oh, I ju- those I just, little guys are I so just, adorable. Yeah, I just love little ghost babies. <laughs> One of them's got a little butt as he's leaning, leaning yes. through the forest. It's so cute. <laughs> yes. And then when Ashitaka is carrying that wounded soldier through, uh, eventually, like, the Kodama are leading him and swarming around him, and many of them start to, like, emulate him carrying that guy by carrying each other on their backs. It's very adorable. Also in that scene, he's, like, leading the guy through, um, and they, like, get in the healing waters for a moment, and that guy's mm-hmm. like, Oh, my arm's not broken. Wow. And then he starts to be like, oh, no, still hurts like a motherfucker. <laughs> that was cute. Yes. Um, I I genuinely, generally really like all the women of the town. I think they're, like, really, like, sweet and endearing. And, like, when one of them says, like, if the daimyo wants uh, some iron, here's some. And, like, shoots one of them <laughs> or tries to shoot one of them. It's, yes. it's good. They're cute. <laughs> Yes. Um, um, yeah, I I think that stuff is, like, poorly handled, but those characters are, like, endearing on purpose, right? It's to get you to invest in them. Uh, let's not ask a question about why hard labor is better than sex work, because uh, that opens a whole can of worms that this movie is definitely not capable of answering. They work four-day shifts. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucked up. Yep. 
in like a company. It's not like it's not like they're going and like earning a wage. They are like they like they all just live there. It's a company mm-hmm. town. And the town and the company is Lady Eboshi. Yeah, and one of them says, like, oh, but it's so much better than the cities. And like we don't see the cities. The cities are not in this movie. Like And also this just... is this is this is the city. Like they like everyone is life or death for this woman who has like a very strong agenda and will lead these people to their like a lot of them die. Like you know, the, uh, one of the ladies almost loses her husband, and she's like, "Ah, oh, you know, it happens." Uh, I was, I'm, I'm so glad he survived, but we all knew this was a possibility. Like, it's not like she's protecting these citizens; she's leading them into a precarious situation where they are going to fight a war against someone and have heavy losses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also, when Ashitaka first gets to Iron Town, and Lady Aboshi like stands at the top of the hill in her glorious kimono, uh, it's badass. She's great. <laughs> <laughs> it is cool. When she says to one of the girls, "Like, clean him up. I'll have. I'll like summon him later." You yes, know? it's good. Yes. Um, uh, and I, I was complaining about the like generally i find the aesthetics of this movie like less good than some of their other stuff but like the animation is like really fluid and like really striking in some moments particularly in the like first scene with the um with ashitaka and the like demon boar like i just thought the animation through that whole sequence is good i think the action is like really gripping generally Uh, the one i really like is when uh son tries to attack lady aboshi like at night standing on top of the big roof of the castle oh yeah. i think that sequence is really cool she's like skittering skittering yeah. it's like so yes. good. yeah <laughs> um i uh, just just uh real majora's mask aesthetics to her in that mask for real <laughs> also yeah i just remember that that scene does end with like ashitaka just like literally getting between them knocking them both out and being like the violence is bad i'm taking her back to the forest yes <laughs> like, and then getting shot and doesn't matter. <laughs> it's the whole movie in miniature. <laughs> and then when she's like, "Why did you? Why did you help me?" He's like, "Cause you're pretty." Like it's just the dumbest motivation in the world. <laughs> <sighs> I don't think I have a whole lot else. I this movie was uh, not just disappointing, but actively bad. I think clearly the worst movie we've seen for this podcast. Yeah, I know it's beloved, but I think that it's like. Joy comes out of like everyone had a much healthier taste for like brain broke liberalism in the nineties. <laughs> I also like maybe this is neither here nor there. I watched an hour of this movie yesterday and had to stop because I got bored. I think the back half of the movie is at least more exciting, but like I just think like on a fundamental level, it's just not like nearly as well made and engaging as like anything else we've watched um, um i don't know about that i actually think it's a well i think it's a well-constructed movie i just think the things it's about suck <laughs> yeah i i definitely think it it picks up in just about every way in the back half i was worried yesterday that like this conversation would be 20 minutes of you angry and me being like i just didn't care that much and i'm glad that the last half made me angry i guess yes because <laughs> it was something yes But yeah, I think we can move on to questions, because I'm kind of running out of steam on it. send questions you can send the podcast at normapping.com about you know next movie any of the prior movies we'll go and talk about kiki's again i don't give a fuck um but we have four emails today the first one is from sean uh mononoke was my first ghibli movie uh, i had the regrettable experience of watching the hollywood double when first viewing as a child uh you know i remember it being okay but it, i didn't watch it again this time um uh, I was a teenager. My biggest exposure to Japanese animation was what was playing on Tsunami in the late 90s, Dragon Ball Z, Gundam Wing, Outlaw Star. For me, it was literally just Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon. I am seeing yeah, that another was... thing before this. Yeah, that was, um, for me too, I was a little later than that, but like, 
I just remember watching Toonami in like 2002 and seeing like Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, Yu Yu Hakusho. Um, I think it'd be easy for the film to just be a fancy love story or about a pro-nature anti-industrial tale, but somehow it's more than either one of these. I think it ultimately finds a message about outsiders finding new families and about collective action and solidarity and being at peace with the world around you. Uh, I love this movie. I vividly remember the first time I watched several different moments uh, because I didn't expect a story to be like this. It was my gateway into the world of Ghibli, and I ultimately enjoyed all the studio's work in different ways, uh, but Mononoke will always have a special meaning to me. Um... Well, I'm sorry about the last half hour of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Sean. Um... Uh, the thing for me is, like, I think that that's what this movie is abso- like, absolutely going for. I, I just mm. don't believe it. I think this movie is a good reminder that, like, people reaching their hand out to help you often comes with expectation and prices that are like social or transactional. And it's worth being skeptical of, you know, ladies who drift in to try to liberate you from your way of life. Yeah. Um, in the, the line about like outsiders finding new families and collective action and solidarity, like I just, I, at the very least, I understand where the outsiders finding new family part comes from. I just don't think it's convincing because I, I really did not understand why he just decides to live in the ironworks at the end. I didn't understand, like, I understand why the ladies, uh, why the women of the town just accepted, like, um, their new jobs, but it didn't. Yeah, the, it, the best thing you can do with someone with a degenerative, uncurable illness is to put them to work when no one else will. <laughs> right, right. And, like... Like, the lepers are literally a function of, like, right-to-work laws that are killing people in the U.S. and the U.K. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, as far as, like, collective action and solidarity goes, I I think of the, the Boers in this moment, and I think about how the, like, differences, like, some Tanuki assimilate and some Tanuki, like, stood up to the police, and, like, I just think, like, those ideas about how a community responds to aggression are so much more developed in um pompoco yeah um yeah for sure i mean we both talked about pompoco being fantastic uh watching someone bungle similar ideas uh, just drives that home um adam asks uh i first watched mononoke at around seven I first watched Mononoke at around age seven or eight because my parents rented it without realizing that the movie had a lot of violence and gore despite being a cartoon. Did either of y'all have similar experiences with your parents accidentally exposing you to mature movies after mistaking them for kids' films? Um, And Adam also asks, between Nausicaa, Pompoko, and Mononoke, which movie do y'all think most effectively conveys its environmentalist message? I think we've come down pretty clear on that second question well the thing is i think that i think that nausicaa is more concerned with environmentalism i think pompoco is more concerned with like understanding the broader cultural effects of like modernization and industrialization um Mm -hmm. environmentalism is part of that but it's also about like erasing cultures and forcing people to assimilate those are not things that fall under the umbrella of environmentalism um but those are functions of like state power and imperialism and you know uh extraction in a broader sense right and i touched on this but i just think nausicaa uh does a much better job of mononoke of like having consequences like nausicaa has to make sacrifices like the ohm and the humans are hurt um but like can learn to coexist by like trying to understand and not exploit each other. Like well, also, like uh, also in our in our Nasca episode, I did talk at the end about how the ending of the film Nasca the Valley Wind does lean into like this liberal idea that you and your villains can shake hands and agree not to fight anymore and peace can be restored and you can try to rebuild. This movie doesn't even allow the space for rebuilding. The problem is solved when they all do like they do the peace motion. Right. Right. Um, right. The, the thing I do recommend is Nosk in the Valley of the Wind, the manga, which is all about, you can fence it all you want and they'll just steamroll you until you pick a side and you have to pick a side. It doesn't matter what the cost, pick a goddamn side. I know I have said I'm going to read Nausicaa at during like every single episode of this podcast, but I'm I'm going to do it. I read 
27 volumes of Naruto in the last two weeks. I'm I'm just gonna read Nausicaa now. Uh, I'm I will say that uh, 27 volumes of Naruto takes less energy than a third of Nausicaa. <laughs> <laughs> it's just popcorn reading. It's just yes. like you could just go and go and go. <laughs> Uh, so what movie were you exposed to uh, without knowing that it was going to be mess you up as a kid? Anything? Um, This was weird because my mom was like extremely never wanted to show me something that she thought I wasn't ready for. And dad like didn't really give a shit. And so I would like go to dad's house and watch like Reservoir Dogs when I was 11 and really... Like, I think Dad showed me Inglorious Bastards when that movie came out and I was 12. Like, um, meanwhile, like, yeah, my mom was extremely opposed to, like, me seeing any sorts of, like, violent stuff. I can't really think of anything, uh, on that end. Mm -hmm. I can't think of anything that, like, messed me up. Um, I was, as a kid really like into gory movies and actually as i've gotten older like can't handle that stuff anymore like i can't watch uh standalone complex because the first episode was like too violent for me and i heard that the rest of it is still that Eh, i mean i guess i'm a bad judge i have a pretty high tolerance for fictionalized violence as a as a teen i would have been totally into it and i don't know why but i just can't like it makes me feel ill now i don't know why yeah, I um, I real violence, uh, smallest amount, too much. Uh, fake violence just doesn't bother me. Not totally unfazed. Yeah. Oh, actually, I do know. I was like mm, twenty when I saw the raid, but the raid, I remember being like a big turning point in like, ooh, I can't stomach this shit anymore. Uh, I, I I literally just thought the raid was boring. I didn't like it. I was like, this could go harder. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's not a very good movie, but I do remember like. Right, because I was, because I was watching um, the raid wa- during like the Ferguson protests, and so like all the police violence oh, in yeah, that no, movie that's just like fucked me up. It's probably a bad time to watch the raid, honestly. Yeah, I didn't know that's what it was about. <laughs> Uh, we have a question from uh, Tron. A uh, bunch of questions. Uh, who's your favorite character in this movie? Mononoke, I guess. Son. I think um, mine might be a Boshi. Uh, she sucks, but in like a very uh, fun way. I think um, the Haman Khan lady from uh, Nausicaa is, sucks in a very similar way that's a yes. lot more fun. Yes, I mean, that's true. Uh, I mean, Nausicaa is just a better movie all around. So, <laughs> uh, uh, What is your favorite looking shot or scene in this movie? Probably for me... Um, the scene where basically any scene with that like really really old boar i think that uh, okoto i think mm-hmm. looks really cool says cool things um yeah for me it's probably the like big group shots of the uh, kodama uh, i just think they're they're good i just think they're neat <laughs> when they start falling out of the sky after the uh, deer god gets killed was just like oh no yes <laughs> Um. Uh, why do you think this movie is so lauded, uh, so lauded so highly in the West is one of the great Studio Ghibli movies? I think I, I think it also helps that this is like one of the first ones that got pushed in a huge way over here. Yeah. Um, like, it's easy to imagine that like if only yesterday, or if Nausicaa, or you know, Kiki was, like, the first one that, like, came over here and got, like, a big marketing push that, like, it would be beloved in this way. Um, Mm, I think it's really a function of, uh, like, Western sensibilities expect there to be action and a plot, and a lot of Ghibli movies don't have either, and this one has too much of both. Uh, Right. Like, even, even before I get Galaxy Brain about, like, you know, Americans love a movie that's about how you need to not do a violence while you're actively doing violence to people. You just need to do it more politely. Um, I really just think it's because it's the one where fucking people get their limbs cut off and there's a, there's an actual plot. <laughs> that's why it's always been so confusing to me that Spirited Away is like another huge one of these because I feel like that is a movie that's pretty light on action and yes. plot. And I'm, 
I like Spirit Away a lot. Um, I didn't get it the first time I saw it because it didn't have those things, and it's weird that like this movie got um, so he that that movie got so huge in light yeah. of that. I mean, also like it was a couple years later, it's a different era. Like this movie, mm-hmm. I don't think did particularly well on its Western release. It's only later on, like on uh, home video, that it really started to pick up. People mm-hmm. became thirsty for anime. '97 was still a little early for uh, like the the actual broad cultural taste for anime. <coughs> um, skimming Tron's question, seeing we no, answered that, a lot of these it. in I the think that's show. It. Yeah, yeah. Um. So we have one last email from Nora. You want to read that one? Um, I'm going to try and summarize this as best I can. Nora, Nora opened writes, with a brief email because I got to get to work and then wrote six paragraphs. <laughs> I went into our bedroom and was like, hey, are you okay? Um, because I was like, she's going to be late to work. Like, she she needs to go. And she's like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to be late. I'm writing this email. <laughs> um. Nora um, was, I think, like really angry with the movie in the same way that I was. I Side note, I felt sad because I was expecting her to really like this movie because I kind of remembered it as like, oh, Nausicaa, but darker, and it's not that. And I, yeah, was bummed out when she did not like this movie at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so much, so much can... So much can be said about uh, Ashitaka, so I won't dwell, but this guy does so little and has the audacity to tell San amidst an apocalyptic disaster that he tried to stop it. (laughs) Bitch, you had seven different opportunities to kill the people responsible for this disaster with with your hate-powered super arm that has absolutely zero characterization or moral weight. The thing I liked about that is, like, they they banish him from the village saying that he's, like, marked by evil. Uh, but then he's never portrayed as the person, even though he, every time he, like, feels violent, his arm literally, like, bulks up and has tentacles come off it. It's never about, like, he is slowly being corrupted by the thing he is trying to, like, uh, like avoid and stop. Like, that's never a plot point with his character. Right. Um. He... He breaks up the fight between uh, Mononoke and um, Iboshi and says, like, this arm that you see, like, all these weird tentacles coming out of it are, like, a manifestation of the hate and the curse on my body. Like, don't give me more reason to hate people. Uh, But, like, maybe he should hate people a little more or maybe he should do something. (laughs) Um... Not that I necessarily think hating all these people is, like, the best possible solution, but it, I don't know, it just felt like, what are you doing, guy? I don't know. Um, Nora goes on to say, then again, the disaster has basically no consequence, since everything regrows immediately, there's no lasting harm done from killing the big nature god. Uh, No, in fact, it undoes the harm that has been done by Iboshi throughout the movie. Yeah. (laughs) This movie was disappointing, middle-of-the-road take that... Felt like it tried to show complexities between human aspiration and nature's need not to be exploited and abandoned, but that sucks and isn't reflective of any real dynamic. Uh, Iboshi isn't virtuous. She uses disabled people and sex workers as a smokescreen to obscure the fact that she's an imperialist social climber. Um, basically, the end result is letting reputation to ideology over, su- over offering material aid, which is, you said something very similar. Yes. Um... A little more hating on Ashitaka, and then the question at the end, if you got superpowers from a demon, what would your praxis become? How would you use your how would you use your anger and pain to heal the world? Uh Firebomb and Amazon Warehouse, I guess. Uh what if what if there was a giant rock in orbit around the earth? And we took that rock and we pushed it down into the earth <laughs> until it hit the earth and caused everyone on the planet to have to leave because they don't deserve it. <laughs> um, I would just kill every ice agent. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
The, we, like, the part where Ashitaka does not immediately just, like, murder Eboshi is the most unfathomable thing to me. Uh, he could he could kill her, he could kill Asano, he could go and kill the Emperor. He could just end this whole thing right now if he wanted to. She takes responsibility for putting the curse on him because she's like, oh yeah, I was the one who, yeah. like, shot that boar, so I'm, like, the reason you have that curse. And he's yeah, just as like, much as I think, as much as I think Eboshi's like an evil character, uh, she owns everything she's doing. She knows what she's doing. She knows that people are going to think it's bad. She knows on some level she's doing harm, but she thinks it is worth it. And uh, like, that's better than Ashitaka's like waffling bullshit. Yeah. He should just like cut her head off. Like he cuts the head off so many random dudes. Yes. Um, one of my favorite moments of that was, um, he shoots the one samurai's head off and the other just like turns around. I was like, nope, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's good. There's that weird bit where he tries to pay for the rice with gold. Uh, that is like just a throwaway thing other than that scene is like replicated almost entirely in uh, Spirited Away that we'll get to in a couple of movies. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that wraps us on questions um yeah again podcast abnormalmapping.com for questions comments thoughts about any of the movies if you think that we got this movie entirely wrong i know it's like a beloved film with a lot of people just just write us in we'll read it uh we won't even tell you you're wrong because we'll be busy thinking about hopefully a better movie (laughs) (laughs) um i have downloaded um our friend grace is uh much higher on this movie than we are uh and she yes. has a podcast on the abnormal mapping network called seasons yeah. i'm gonna listen to it right after we finish recording um, yeah i usually wait until we're done recording i'm excited to listen to this one yeah uh i also realized i didn't uh listen to their whisper of the heart episode so i'm excited to listen to that yeah it's good um yeah i've been listening along as we because they've only they're only doing the miyazaki films which grave mistake honestly just skipping all the best movies <laughs> <laughs> only do the takahata movies skip the miyazaki shit <laughs> Yeah, um, but uh, please check that out. Uh, other than that, I guess it's time for plugs. Uh, Autumn, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Uh, I got a pinned tweet with this podcast and export audio. Um, and uh, Absolute Destiny Apocalypse, uh, the Utena podcast I do with Karevi, uh, should be making a return next week. Uh, we took a little time away for like health reasons, and we're back. We will hopefully be back at it next week. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, Export just did an episode about season three of Netflix Castlevania. If let's say you didn't like season one and just want to like find out what's going on in season three and hear two of your friends talk about it, like that's a thing you can do. <laughs> I, I understand I'm being called out. I actually think I might just next week watch season two. So, and then three. So we'll see how that goes. Season two is better than season three, but I still like season three. Okay. Um, I really didn't like season one, but uh, people say season two got better. So I like season one, but all of your complaints about it are extremely valid and they, I have similar complaints about them. So about it. Yes. Um, all right. You can find me at, on Twitter at EM underscore being where by the time this comes out, hopefully all I'm doing is posting about Animal Crossing and not about anything else. Cause honestly, I don't care about anything else. That's coming out um, tonight, right? Yeah. Holy uh, shit. I probably won't play it till after work tomorrow, but yes. Um, and, uh, you can find this podcast and all the other ones at abnormalmapping.com. I have a game club called Abnormal Mapping. We're about to record our episode on Disco Elysium, which is going to be a really good podcast. Uh, not quite sure how it's going to go, but I just know it's going to be good. Um, cause we have a lot of thoughts about that game. Um, and you can support us at patreon.com slash mapping. Uh, we, we talk about Gundam. That's what most people do. They spend a dollar and listen to us talk about Gundam every week. I have decided, partially because of Standalone Complex, that I'm just going to shotgun all your G Gundam episodes and not watch G Gundam. Oh, yeah, that'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to hear reports on how that goes. (laughs) I suspect I'm going to hear you two just, like, slowly devolve into, what the fuck are we supposed to talking about? How much G Gundam have you watched? I know you watched some of it. I watched up until the episode that I was on and have not watched it since then. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't remember what episode that was, so... Uh, 10? Not of G Gundam. Episode 10 of G Gundam, not of the podcast. Okay. Um, I think. Well, we're at like 39, 40 now, so... What's next? Is it Wing? Yes. Oh, I'm hyper Yes, looking forward to Wing. 
I think it's going to be dumb, but I'm going to enjoy it. So. Uh, sign off. Um, still don't have a sign off for this podcast. No, but, you know, maybe you should read a book about some ideology instead of getting it from your fucking anime. <laughs> Everybody go read State and Revolution. <laughs> Yeah, read Lenin and then listen to GGP. Don't do not do it the other way around. Don't make the mistake I made watching Gundam first. It just gives you brain worms. When the sun has gone, I see you. Beautiful and haunting, but cold like the